Judge is ready. Wait, Kurt, I know this isn't a good time to mention this since we like just started recording the podcast and stuff, but I really hate the fact that you always get the good chair when we record. Melissa, they're all the same cheap IKEA office chair. Yeah, well, how would I know that? I always sit in this chair. Okay, well, since we're being honest, I really don't like it when you drink all the water in my Brita while we record and never refill it before you leave. Um, I always leave at least one glass worth. I am not a monster. Even a monster would have the decency to fill the freaking pitcher. Thank you very much. Okay, while we're at it, is there anything else you need to get off your chest? Yes, actually. On today's podcast, we're going to lay out all our biggest forensics pet peeves as coaches, judges, and just passive observers. This This is Forensics Faces. Well, hello, Kurt. Hey, Melissa. How's it going? I'm good, except that the range of motion in my neck is very limited. Yeah. So. You look very pageanty right now. Thank you. Try to, to demonstrate your limited range of motion. I'll try not to, like, like dance around too much and yeah. show off my full range of neck. Yeah, motion. so I slept on it funny the other day, and it, and it's just like I can't move my head very far, which is unusual. But then I was talking to somebody at work today, and she had the same experience, and her fiance had the same experience. Like so, all in the same day? Yeah, no, like oh, within okay. the last week. So it's like something's going around. Like the pillows in Wisconsin are conspiring against us. Because Okay, I'm going to knock on the table and yeah. hope that you do not jinx me because I can't deal with that. I don't yeah. do well with lasting pain. It's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It is uncomfortable. But that's the worst of it. So if that's, if that's the worst I have to complain about, then I'm pretty darn good. How about you? I am pretty all right. Now that we've gotten through CFL qualifiers. Yes. I feel like a weight is off of my chest now. So, That'll yeah. come back once we get closer to NFL <laughs> or excuse me, NSGA qualifiers. Yes. So, yeah. See, and that is um, one thing I was blissfully free of this year. I, we had very low expectations going into qualifiers, so it was not like, and and even people on Sunday who listened to the podcast were saying like, I thought you'd be more into this, and it's just one of those years where like. I did not have kids who did a lot of national qualifying categories all year. I said very early on, if you're not doing one, you know, like for at least half the season, I am not going to like kill myself to throw together a piece so that you can go to nationals. So I only brought three girls and ended up only qualifying one of them. So for me, it was like an easy day with very little expectations. But I understand some of your kids on your team had a much, yeah, had a lot higher hopes going in yeah we but we've we had a really rough time leading up to cfl qualifiers because our, our spring play is going on at the same time and so the week their play opened last weekend yep. so they were doing tech rehearsals and final dress rehearsals and then like running out during their off scenes to practice with me in a closet off of the auditorium foyer and then running back and doing their scenes so everyone was just so like when they got on the bus sunday morning that bus was silent. Wow. Everyone was quiet in their own little worlds. And so I was. I did not expect a lot. I really was prepared for them to just go out and do their best and then see what happened. And we did have a pretty good day, but... I was going to say, you guys qualified more students than anybody else, I think. We we did, but it's not something that I think is that important. I don't... I'm never like, I'm going to qualify the most kids. But we... I did have some... My... 
my little students who didn't qualify were a little disappointed, but right. we've still got NSDA national qualifiers, and we still have state to pull through, and a lot of times those kids who don't do well at the qualifiers are the only ones who do well in state, so yep. crossing fingers for that. But Weirdness ensues. Yes. Well, CFLs itself can be a little weird, but I still stand by the fact that the shakedown or or the shakeout, however we call it, yeah. that, that happens in the, in the tavern is one of my favorite things. And getting to like watch Christy <laughs> and Adele from Fond du Lac experience that for the first time and like trying to keep track of what all the circles and the numbers on the board meant. So what you're talking about is the process at the end of the day after all the students have competed where all of their codes have to go up on this board. Yep. And we determine like, okay, this student is in the top five here and they preferred... To go in this category. So, okay, they've qualified here. Next student down qualified, but they prefer to go in another category. So now we have to see, did they actually go in that other category? Let's look up their code. And so it's like this long process of like looking at what puzzle piece is going to fit where to end up with five qualifiers and two alternates in every category yeah and sometimes you have to go down the line quite Quite a a bit bit. (laughs) to get to that like second alternate um and you were doing some really impressive math at that point to figure out like how did this student eke ahead of this student to become the second alternate versus, and, you know, the other way around? And Ron hand tabs that tournament. So all that right. math is happening on a little piece of paper with, like, mm-hmm. every other coach in the diocese standing over his shoulder and double-checking his math. Exactly. So it is a high-pressure situation. But because, one, I ain't good at math. <laughs> Second of all, no one's going to ask for my help in that. I just get to sit in my little chair and this weekend... Uh, Gargo pulled it out with a dilly bar, so we were all just sitting in there yes. eating dilly bars, yep. <laughs> watching other people do the work, and <laughs> it was great. But that, yeah, they that was a nice addition to the day. Yeah, it really made the tension a little less thick, but it, it was. was still and, fun. And the ten- I would say the tension was especially easy because, like, it really seemed like we were spreading the wealth. Yeah, there like were there was no one schools. school dominating a category. Yeah. And that's one thing that Mariah from New London said when we first put up the kids who are going in oil. She was like, mm-hmm. look at all the schools that get represented in that top five. Yep. That is so cool. And that I really, it was really cool. So it's going to be a really fun nationals. So is this the part where I chastise you for being the loudest person in the room during that process? <laughs> I, okay. So as Kurt has mentioned on the podcast before, I am allowed laugher i i'm sorry that i love life but to top things off <laughs> oh now it's about loving life, yeah is it? Okay. it is all right but to top things off sitting in the little corner of the library wherever where we were doing all the tabulations and doing the shakedown or shakeout whichever one you prefer to call it mm-hmm. i'm sitting between peter from ideas and Christy and Adele from Fond du Lac. And Christy and Adele are super nervous because they ended up qualifying their first ever student for nationals. And so they were just like on the edge of their seats and just all this nervous energy. And I was so excited for them. And then Peter was waiting to see if one of his students was qualifying. And it would have been his first student. And he was very nervous about it. So I was just like so excited with them. And both of them are like, they're like two of my very favorite forensics <laughs> friends. And were just making me laugh constantly. And to be fair, there were quite a few good innuendos during the (laughs) diocese meeting, which we won't talk about in order to keep them close to our hearts. Yes. But I 
I couldn't help it. And I, but like, but like, you were throwing me death glares, and I was laughing. And Ben is death glaring me. And at one point, like Mariah gave me eyes, and she's a very nice, kind, wonderful woman. So then I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like get up and like walk away for a second so that I can be away from all of this because it. I tend to laugh when things get stressful and I'm loud and again if you hear loud noises in the judges lounge it's probably me laughing at my stupid friends because they're hilarious and wonderful yeah your fault too though I was laughing at you some of the time as well you were throwing some really great facial expressions during the diocese meeting I don't know what you were talking about I was taking the minutes yes you were you were being very professional yep (laughs) okay so this week we are talking about our top top five forensics pet peeves yes so you have created a top five and yes. i have created a top five and we've kept them secret from we each other we have not talked about this at all so we're gonna see how this comes together maybe we'll, we'll have what... a lot of similar ones maybe they'll yeah. it'll be 10 completely different things yeah we only wrote down five of course we could yes. list many many more because we've been doing this for as long as we have mm-hmm. but it's best to leave it to five also prevents us from maybe being a little too mean at times and, sure. And, oh my gosh. I mean, I could have a top 20. Yeah. But then I'd be really, yeah, I'd really be Yeah. We don't petty. want people to think that we're they'd like. Be, they'd be petty yeah. pet peeves. And yeah. petty pet peeves. Mm-hmm. Oh, order over mm-hmm. here. Oh, you know, alliteration. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess I'll go first. Okay. And we're starting at five, going down to one. Yeah. Mine are not in any particular order though. Oh my God, girl. Should okay. I order? I'll, okay. I'll try to like look at my list and order them as I say okay, them. Okay. Mine are in order. Okay. So like my number one is the thing that bugs you the most. Me the most so, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I, I've ordered them right now. I All right. I would. <laughs> Melissa's number five forensics pet peeve. Teams who leave their trash behind in the auditorium slash commons cafeteria after the tournament ends. There are... Parents and volunteers who spend their entire day serving you food and like helping run a tournament. There are students who helped set up a tournament, helped do check-in for a tournament, competed all day, and don't have to clear up the tournament. And you're leaving behind your soda cans and your Jimmy John's wrappers because you're like better than them. Mm-hmm. As someone who runs a tournament and has watched parents spend sometimes 40 minutes cleaning up a commons afterwards, it takes you two seconds to turn to your kids and say, hey... Clean up your table before you leave yep. and then walk away. Or having someone be their designated person. You're trash girl today. You could keep, keep track of it all. You could give them a cape. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> a beautiful, just like a little, cool like garbage bag that like yeah. ties around. Oh, but I really, it's such an easy thing to do. And it's just really disrespectful, frankly, to leave your trash around when, agree. when no one. one else is doing it. That is uh, a good one. Number four. No, my number five. Oh, you're number five. Okay, we're switching back and forth. Got it. Number five for Kurt. My number five. Students during rounds who are either ignoring you, a.k.a. texting, or too familiar. So it goes both ways. There are some kids who, like, think that they're getting away with it and they're being real sly by, like, having the phone under their desk or, like, they'll prop their jacket up on the desk and then they'll, like, try to hide their phone underneath it. One, I see that. And then there's the other ones who like come in and they immediately start making conversation and they're just like, and some some people are just genuinely pleasant, mm-hmm. but these are the students who you know think that by talking to you, they are getting 
an, a competitive advantage. Just like, because you complimented my skirt does not mean I'm giving you a one. Exactly. Like, this is not what we're here to do. Like... <laughs> Thank you, Like no. Yeah, like, it is not your job as the competitor in the round to, like, get to know your judge the best. In fact, like, a pleasant hello, a how is your day going, and, you know, then getting the round started, that's what I like. Um, But if you think you're getting away with texting during the round, uh, I see you, and I write it on your ballot, so you know I saw you. And maybe this is wrong, and I'm sure some coaches would think that I'm wrong for doing this. It affects your rank. If I see you acting Seconded. like that during a round. And then if you are that that kid who wants to talk to me and like really engage me in some meaningful conversation before you're about to compete, please don't. I, it makes me uncomfortable. I do Just not like no. it. Please don't. <laughs> All number, right. You're number four. Number four. Judges who don't appreciate the weight of the responsibility of being a judge i.e. falling asleep in a storytelling power round. I'm not going to call out this judge in particular, but I judged the storytelling power round (laughs) at a recent tournament with my good friend Christy Knudsen and during the second performer, not the seventh competitor, but the second performer nudges me and points in the direction of of the other judge who was fast asleep in his, like with his head in his hand, like while a student is performing. So obviously Christy and I, make telepathic connection and then become just overly involved judges who are reacting to everything that's happening and laughing more ruckusly and the only time that the judge ever woke up was while students were applauding and I hated it I was so upset the whole time like made eye contact with him once through so much shade I really just don't appreciate judges are there to serve a purpose students Mm -hmm. are need to be respectful of judges but if you aren't taking the weight of your responsibility seriously, then why is someone paying you to be there? As many coaches will tell you, there are most students who are at a tournament, the only thing they're going to leave with are your critique sheets yeah. and your feedback. And you need to take that really seriously. And so when judges don't do that, it bugs the crap out of me. So follow up. Did you feel as like a fellow judge or even like as a coach empowered to like approach that guy oh, afterwards? Heck no. No. Like, how do, like, what steps can we take to correct that kind of behavior? Well, I. Did you know what school the judge was from? No, but I'm sure that if I off microphone described him to you, you would know exactly who he was. Okay. But this gentleman, uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm confrontational when it comes to my students, I guess. And this is, I guess, me being not a great advocate for other students in the round that I didn't say something to him which I feel bad about now but at the time I it just didn't feel like my place to approach him and say excuse me what you were doing during that round was really rude and I, you know I'm not going to stop the round because a lot of the kids who yeah, there were a good no. amount of audience members so I'm not going to stop the round between performances and say hey buddy yeah I mean definitely during the round wake up. would have been the wrong time to call him yeah. out but, but that would have been a good moment for anyone who watches RuPaul's Drag Race. This week, RuPaul had a great quote of her just yelling, wake oh, up at yeah. the girls. I would have loved to have had that soundbite in that moment and just like wake pumped it up. up. <laughs> wake up. It would have been yeah. great. But that judges who don't understand the full weight of what they're doing and how important and impactful it is. Stop it. I agree. Think about it. Number four for Kurt. Number four for me, coaches who don't have time. This is an excuse I hear all the time from people 
in every level of coaching, like from the first tournament of the year, talking to people who are at their, you know, their very first season, all the way up through people I talk to at nationals who have been coaching for 30 years and have kids in finals. I don't have time. Guess what? None of us have time. Nope. None of us have time. Like, I have yet to meet the coach who is financially well off enough that coaching is simply all they do. Yep. We all have a job. And we all do this as a secondary part position, whether you're a teacher who does this as part of your extracurricular, or you're like you or I who are out of building coaches who go to a day job and then come to the school to coach forensics. None of us have time to do to go above and beyond, but we somehow do it anyways. You make and, time. And like and I there's so much more that I want to be able yes. to do. Um and so to hear coaches be like, you know, to just say it to the very basic uh, tenets of coaching, like, oh, I just didn't have time. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, you you make the time. If this is important to you, you make the time. And if you're not, then eh, maybe this isn't the thing for you. Well, that flows well into my number three, which is coaches who do not, I'll use the word, screen their students' pieces or speeches oh, yeah. and don't seem to care about them until their students get called into question for something like disqualification or rule violation. If you are saying that you didn't have time to watch your own student perform and you didn't know that there that that was in their piece, then then what were you doing that you didn't have time to to know this? There are a lot this year especially I'm finding there are a lot of pieces and selections and like speech wording that I wouldn't think a lot of coaches would let their students get away with and there's totally the possibility that that student is doing it without their coach's knowledge, and they present something completely different when they're in practice. Mm -hmm. But the likelihood, I mean, I love high schoolers, but the (laughs) likelihood of them being like that sneaky in order to do something like that does not seem likely to me. Yeah. And And I'll be honest, I have heard this year more than ever coaches being, saying quite casually that they're not quite sure what, you know, that student is doing. Yeah. Like, well, they haven't really seen it since the early phases, and so... It, and I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Like maybe I mean, it's because I'm, I'm a control freak and, and I like need to know everything my student is doing, like down to what what hand they're using, like seven minutes into their solo series. Mm-hmm. But the idea of them not knowing something as big as a really blatant ruled violation or something like or completely being having something in their piece that's a totally decuable offense, then what is going on? You, the, Your job as a coach is to prevent those situations and step up and say, okay, actually, no, the thing you're doing isn't allowed. Let's do this instead. Or you need to be careful of that thing. I'm not sure of the rules. And familiarize yourself with them. Yeah, no, I agree. There's no excuse for it. It's harmful to your students. Stop it. Agreed. Number three for me. Any piece that's written by anonymous or some kind of screen name... <laughs> I'm done. Like, the internet. (laughs) Tumblr user. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, cat lover 49. (laughs) The The internet is an amazing place to find pieces. And we talked about this in our episode. I think it was like the third one we did this year, picking up the pieces about like how to find pieces. And a lot of what we do is searching for things online. 
But there is a moment when you have to go like, if the author isn't willing to put their name on this piece of writing, (laughs) then Then I shouldn't be presenting it as part of a quality forensics piece. It is... And I try to maintain an open mind, but like it's so obvious once you get up there and say from anonymous or like from some author unknown, author unknown, that like it's not going to be very good. I also love when author unknown is presented really like mysteriously, like a piece about ghosts by author Author unknown, and you're like, oh great, yeah. So I I do not like to see that in a round, (laughs) and I try very hard not to hold a bias. Like, and just judge the piece for what it is, but it's such a clear indicator of what's about to come. Quality, not great if there is not an author. My number two biggest pet peeve, which is going to be, which is so nitpicky, but also very Melissa, lack of binder etiquette. Let me tell you what binder etiquette is. (laughs) Okay, please. Binder etiquette for Melissa is going up, to do your piece with your binder and all of your papers from the entire season are in that front pocket. And so I can see them and hear them. You are standing like really limp-wristed and your your piece is pretty much like facing outwards and I can see it when you aren't like, you're, you're fumbling with your page turns and you're just like waving your binder around really like crazily. Just open your binder turn your pages, perform your piece, close your binder, and do so with finesse, Mm -hmm. do so impassionately, but don't just, like, give up on it. It bugs me so much when a student just doesn't know what they're doing with in their hand. Just like a baby who just discovered their fist. Like, what's this? Oh, it's a thing that I'm doing now. Okay. I'm going to just, like, wrestle around with it and, like, fidgeting with it when you're like performing when you're bringing your like mm-hmm. performing hand back to it and you're like pulling your fingernails under the edges and you're like picking at the pages and things <laughs> we see those things you're doing <laughs> i notice them so don't do them it really betrays a lack of confidence it's if, so yeah, distracting if they can't be still enough to just hold the binder normally it really betrays a lack of confidence so binder etiquette is something that uh, most of the time needs to be taught because you're not you don't naturally yeah, know how to hold the binder stand there with a, bi- a little black binder i mean who's except for forensics people who's ever even seen a, um, a binder who's that a mini size? binder like yeah. people who see that outside of the forensics world are like, what, what is, is that, that for? What are you doing with that? Yeah. But it, one of my like favorite, because Mackenzie Berkey, my former student, is in college, she, when she came back and performed for me for the first time, watching like the intricacies of opening a binder, it's literally a five-step process wow. to open your binder. And that's a little much. But just do so. Like Your binder has a purpose. Yeah. And... It just don't be silly about it. Or at the very it. least, don't let your binder be a distraction. Yes. Even just, if it even if it doesn't have a purpose, like don't just, let it be a distraction. Yeah. So that's it's very nitpicky, but I hate it. Yeah. Number two for me, students who dress like they're looking for a date. Ooh. And this is not even like in competition because I'm very strict with myself and I hold others to the same standard that it should not matter what a student is wearing when they compete. 
Um, obviously, I encourage my own students, and I think it's one of the cooler parts of forensics that we encourage the, the students to dress um, in a business-like manner. Yeah. I think it's great for young people to have that kind of wardrobe um, and to get used to wearing that kind of wardrobe and to enjoy looking for that kind of wardrobe. And just having a higher expectation. Yeah. And, and should their resources allow it to have several different outfits that, I mean, when they go to college and are doing job interviews and interviewing for scholarships, like... They are going to be happy they have those suits. But I also know that there are a lot of people who don't have the resources to buy nice clothes. And so some of it's hand-me-downs. A lot of it is Goodwill. My kids, a lot of them are wearing Goodwill stuff. Yep. Um, and that's totally fine. So it doesn't need to be perfectly fitted or tailored to the student. Um, and if they have to come in khakis and a sweater, fine. If they have to come in jeans and a t-shirt, that one really... Is stretching mm. my limits, but I am. But if it's nice jeans, going to do my best to look past it, um, you know, because it's about the performance, not what they're wearing. That being said, there are a lot of students, and this maybe I'm just getting older, and so I'm like more bothered by it. But it seems like there are more students nowadays who are dressing like they're trying to be sexy, and I don't like it. Yeah. I don't I don't like it. There's there's a lot of people that I see walking around through tournaments that I think I would not let her get on my bus looking like that. Yeah. Or he would not be wearing that right now if he were on my team. Yeah. Like for girls there's there's a lot of that's like that's the short skirt and the low like the sheared dress. Mm-hmm. And then for guys it's like why are your dress why are your dress pants that low? Yeah. Like do you do you need, did your mom not like I'm sure your mom bought you a belt, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like a hundred percent positive your mom bought you a belt when she bought you those pants. Right. So please make good use of it. Or even just like I've I've seen gentlemen since we're calling them out like with like their top buttons unbuttoned like oh with their like six chest hairs they grew yeah. last week showing <laughs> yeah like like, like cool I'm glad you like the ladies, those we're show me call them later the gentlemen too but like <laughs> like it's it's in both directions where it's like they they look like they're looking for a date yeah not like they're looking for a job which I think is like the standard of professional dress that we expect from our young people in forensics. But if, if you really are looking to impress a bunch of teenage girls, like showing up in like a nice suit, looking like Justin Timberlake, circa that album where he wore suits a lot. Yep. Like they're going to be much more impressed by that. So if you're really trying to get ladies, put on a suit, gentlemen. Agreed. And girls, nothing says power and confidence like a freaking skirt suit. Yep. Like you put on your skirt suit. A skirt suit that leaves something to the imagination. Well, if you're finding a skirt suit with a short skirt, I don't know where you bought that skirt suit, but don't. I don't know where they found it, but I found three of them just this weekend. Oh, goodness. On, on young ladies. And I was thinking, uh, how is that even allowed? So if if you wouldn't want your grandmother to... This is a rule that I still follow by to this day. If I wouldn't want my grandmother to see me in the, that outfit... I should not go out in public. It makes, I mean, call me a prude, but but also, thank you. Uh, (laughs) But also we have to remember that despite our our best efforts, first impressions still exist. And forensics is one where it's still very important. One of the reasons that you are talking about, you don't want students necessarily like trying to start conversations with you and trying to force a first impression upon you where a student who is just quiet and reserved both in personality and dress yeah. is allowing their performance to speak louder for them and that's why we do that i like that i like that analysis thank you 
All right, so my number one is actually something that Kurt talked about already. My number one biggest forensics pet peeve is students who do not part, who do not pay any attention in round. And I'm not just talking about you texting on your cell phone and trying to Snapchat. I'm talking about you picking your nails and playing with your split ends and picking at your pants threads and, and reading the signs around the room or looking at me to see how I'm reacting to a piece or like drawing on the desk or digging in your purse for chapstick or like pulling lint out of your pocket and making a snowman with it. <laughs> Thing that I actually saw a student doing around once. You, if you don't want someone to do that while you're performing, then why are you doing it when other people are? Judges see everything. We are watching you constantly. And if you are being a horrible audience member, I'm going to put it on your critique sheet so that your coach sees it and so that your coach calls you out about it. And if you're horrible enough, I will come up to you after a round and say, I just need you to know that your decorum in that round was horrible and you need to work on your audience, like your audience skills, because they are a skill that you need. Being respectful audience member and being and reacting to pieces appropriately increases the energy of the round and makes it better for everyone. So it is on you to be polite and courteous and it's not that hard to pay attention I have often said that the greatest skill that forensics gave me was not public speaking because I was already a theater kid I liked getting up in front of people and talking the greatest skill it gave me was how to fake looking interested in something that somebody was saying yeah because I this was taught to me as a forensic student you look like you're engaged and we know you cannot possibly stay engaged for three rounds with seven competitors for nine weeks in a row. Like, there's just not enough pieces out there for you to be, like, constantly engaged and discovering new things in front of you. We know. What we're asking you to do is when you do reach the point when you're no longer hearing new things and no longer interested, fake, fake it. Until you make it. Fake it. And I, I now have that skill. And it's fantastic. I yeah. use it. Guess what? You're going to use that skill in your oh, adult life, too. Yeah, it's going to be one of the skills you use the most. When someone starts talking about their new crock pot and you mm-hmm. care for exactly three seconds, but they're going to go on about it for a little longer. And you're going to look engaged and that person's going to think you're a great listener. A great listener. And, and, great and meanwhile, friend. you've learned to separate a part of your brain that can think about something else. Yeah. So you're being productive with one half of your brain while the other one is registering how much this person is still talking. And if you need to react to something they're saying with like, a, oh, ooh, mm. you ah. know, you're kidding. No you know, way. like those sorts of reactions without really registering what they're saying and I get that this might be making me sound like a horrible person but it's this is something if you are being honest with yourself and you you do this yes if you are being honest with yourself you do this on a regular basis you ignore what people are saying while looking engaged yes when I say pay attention you just you just have to appear to be if you're just sitting there looking forward at the contestant, even if you're really thinking about how maybe you could try to pull off that haircut one day, mm-hmm. I don't know that. Right. And neither do they. So just it's disrespectful to pick at your fingernails and play with your shoes and like read the posters around the room. Like when you're physically turning mm-hmm. in your chair to read the poster in a language you don't speak anyway, <laughs> it's not nice. So don't do it. And mostly just don't look at the judge. 
while other people are performing. It doesn't matter what I think of the piece for you. <laughs> it matters what they what I think for them. So stop looking at me. Just don't. Leave me alone. I mean, you can look at me, Kurt. Oh, okay. I'm with like, your kind, uh, kind eyes. Suddenly <laughs> I was like, do I need to not be looking? Yeah. All right, but you're number one. My number one pet peeve. Judges who wait for the scheduled time for rounds to begin before arriving at the round. This drives me crazy. <laughs> this drives me up a wall. Do the math, people. If you are in a category that is six minutes long and there are seven competitors in that category, it does not take an hour and 15 minutes for each round to be complete. You could move the tournament ahead of schedule by getting to the round a little bit earlier. There are lots of people who can't get to rounds on time because their last round just got done because they're watching a play acting that happened to be one of those play actings where everybody went 12 minutes and it was six people long. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I'm not talking about showing up late to rounds. I'm talking about judges who have the time to like go back to the judges lounge and get another cup of coffee and eat a donut and wait until the scheduled round time to show up. And the kids have been sitting in the hallway for 30 minutes just go to your round just go to your next round that it it drives me crazy drives me crazy and i know that i've been occasionally guilty of that but that was mostly and i think the one time i was there and i saw you doing it i was like you um, yelled at me you be at your round uh yeah that was at some ferry i was eating cheesecake and i said oh i have another 10 minutes till the round start and kurt said your cheesecake can wait and then i walked away (laughs) that was literally the phrase you used and and my cheesecake did wait yeah like come on guys but and it's and it's the one thing and two because there are people who like think they've figured it out so after their second round they'll go back to the judges lounge and eat lunch even if it means they'll be late for their next round because they feel like oh if i don't get the first round of food i'm not going to get food you'll get food like tournaments will always figure it out for you something will be figured out as someone who has missed all of the lunch and went into the to the judges lounge i was then told to go to the concession stand tell them they ran out of food and they will hand me lunch yeah and i got weird nachos but nachos i got so but so yeah judges just go to your next round it's not that hard i promise you'll have a better day like and (laughs) And no one will yell at you nobody's gonna yell at you nobody will be waiting for you like we we don't have kids just sitting out in the hallway with nothing to do for 20 or 30 minutes then the whole day moves faster just just go to your round i promise you will like this system better (laughs) And again, we could go on and on with other things. And maybe down the road, we'll have another episode where it's just more pet peeves Probably. or new pet peeves. <laughs> but for now, those are our 10. Now, if you have any friends pet peeves that we didn't mention, please comment on this podcast on Facebook or mm. at Reply Us on Twitter and let us know because, like most likely we probably share it too or you're gonna do one where oh my gosh yes i hate that will be the moment that we're having so please share it with all of us and let us know uh speaking of sharing a uh, shout out to amy geyser from marquette who actually shared our interp versus acting podcast on her facebook today and started a little debate in the comments about it we love seeing stuff love like that, that. yeah and uh, also to our big, big fan, Mr. Rademacher, who we were... Oh, over at Madison West, Jen Rademacher, thank <laughs> who, you. Yes, who appears to be one of our biggest fans, and we love a fan, so yes. thank you. <laughs> and if you want us to give you a shout-out during our podcast, just 
like literally this is all you have to do walk up to us at the tournament and say love the podcast we will both blush Yay! furiously <laughs> giggle at one another and then like we'll shout out you like amy posted that on facebook and i literally texted kurt oh my gosh amy geyser just shared our podcast on facebook <laughs> and i was like i've already liked it <laughs> <laughs> so we we love interacting with you guys we love hearing back from you so please comment on this and let us know your other forensics pet peeves and also approach us this weekend i'll be at wapaka kurt will not but come talk to me i'll be in the judges lounge i'm kurt and i'm melissa reminding you to listen think and speak preferably in that order Forensics Faces is produced and recorded in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme music was composed and performed by J.J. Hammeister. More info at ForensicsFaces.com. Wow.